This is Bart Peterson, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. This is Greg Gilchrist, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. This is Dan DeMarco, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. In today's episode, I visit with Jesse Kaplan. Jesse is a managing director at Affiliated Monitors, and we take up the U.S. Department of Justice's Antitrust Division's recently released Evaluation of Corporate Compliance Programs in Criminal Antitrust Investigations. Kaplan explains how this supplements the prior leniency program, and most importantly, what does it mean for the compliance practitioner, particularly the anti-bribery, anti-corruption compliance practitioner. It's a fascinating exploration of a current event that is seemingly going to change the face of antitrust investigations, and most importantly, corporate antitrust compliance programs. I know you will enjoy it, and more importantly, I know you will find it useful. The FCPA Compliance Report is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode. And today I'm joined by Jesse Kaplan, the Managing Director for Corporate Oversight and Affiliated Monitors. We are here today to visit about what I think is certainly one of the most significant changes the Department of Justice has put out, specifically in the area of antitrust enforcement, but it may have broader implications for the compliance practitioner going forward. So, um, Jesse, with that, first of all, welcome, and thank you for taking the time to visit with me. My pleasure, Tom. Jesse, last week we had the release of a document entitled The Evaluation of Corporate Compliance Programs in Criminal Antitrust Investigations. You are a former DOJ or specifically in the Antitrust Division, and I also took that role on uh, in the state of Massachusetts Attorney General's office for a time. So I was wondering if you might be able to uh, start with uh, giving us a, a bit of a review, as many of my listeners are going to be anti-compliance, excuse me, uh, anti-bribery compliance practitioners. What's uh, the U.S. antitrust law? How did compliance programs relate to it? And then maybe what changed? So first of all, as you mentioned, uh, you know, last week the DOJ Antitrust Division came out with this, uh, with a, basically a new policy and guidance. Uh, and in the uh, in the rollout of this new policy, the Assistant Attorney General in charge of the Antitrust Division for the Department of Justice, Macon Delrahim, uh, called it uh, a new model for incentivizing antitrust compliance programs. Uh, so it certainly is relevant to all uh, compliance professionals. Uh, and, and just at a very high level, uh, this new model uh, that's been rolled out by the Department of Justice uh, revises and to some extent liberalizes the circumstances under which the Department of Justice will give gre- credit to antitrust violators in criminal cases uh, when they can show that they had an effective antitrust compliance program. A little bit of background on the antitrust laws. Uh, so uh, the federal antitrust laws that most people have heard of or are familiar with are Sections 1 and Section 2 of the Sherman Act. Uh, and Section 1 in particular uh, prohibits uh, unreasonable uh, restraints on trade. Uh, and, uh, and in all cases, uh, in order to be a violation, uh, a criminal violation, there has to be some kind of concerted action 
between typically competitors. Uh, so again, the antitrust law, section one prohibits really uh, a concerted action, whether it's an agreement or a conspiracy uh, that would unreasonably restrain trade uh, in commerce. Uh, so what constitutes a criminal antitrust violation? Because the Department of Justice can investigate antitrust violations either civilly or criminally. Uh, and in this case, it's important to know what's a criminal violation because the new policy only applies to investigations and prosecutions of criminal uh, antitrust cases. So, uh, so a criminal antitrust violation is one that is typically called a per se violation of the antitrust laws. Uh, and what a per se violation is, is one where uh, the courts have determined that, uh, that that type of conduct always, or almost always, uh, is harmful to consumers, is harmful to the free market system, uh, and is therefore always considered an unreasonable restraint on trade. And there are, there are several per se violations of the antitrust laws that most people are familiar with. So, for instance, price fixing is a per se violation of the antitrust laws. Bid rigging and allocating or dividing markets are all per se violations of the antitrust laws. Uh, and they all involved concerted activity between uh, competitors. So, really, so in almost every uh, criminal antitrust case, you're going to have a situation where you're going to have uh, multiple actors. Uh, they're typically going to be competitors, uh, and there's going to be some kind of conspiracy between them. This new policy and how it's different and significant from uh, the situation before July 11th and DOJ policy before July 11th. Uh, before July 11th, the Department of Justice had really just what they called an antitrust leniency program. And what that leniency program was really... Uh, pretty straightforward. And what it provided was that if a co-conspirator in a per se antitrust, criminal antitrust matter, was the first one to come and self-report to the Department of Justice and to cooperate meaningfully with the Department of Justice, that co-conspirator could avoid criminal prosecution under the antitrust laws uh, and typically would avoid criminal prosecution under the antitrust laws. However, if you weren't the first one in, you could not avoid criminal prosecution under the antitrust laws. You did not get any credit under the leniency program. So what it really constituted was a race, and the DOJ called it that. It was a race to see who would be the first ones to go and self-report to the Department of Justice and to cooperate with the Department of Justice. Uh, and even if you were arguably a good corporate citizen and found out about the violation, but you were not the first one in, let's say you went to the Department of Justice, but one of your co-conspirators co got there the day before you, if you missed it by that day, you were not going to get credit under the DOJ leniency program. And what this new policy does it doesn't get rid of the leniency program, but it gives uh, companies that are good corporate citizens uh, who can show that they have an effective compliance program 
the ability to get credit for that compliance program at the charging phase of an antitrust case, even if they were not the first one in. So, Jesse, that is uh, a major change, obviously. Is it something that you uh, have anticipated or you would have expected, or is this really something out of left field? You know, I don't really think it's something out of left field, and I think it's consistent with where the Department of Justice is going. And arguably, it is the next step uh, after the leniency program has been in place for quite a number of years. The Assistant Attorney General in charge of the Department of Justice talks about that, uh, that the leniency program, where there's really only one winner, it was a winner-take-all, has, has and had... Uh, it's positive impact for law enforcement because it providing great incentives uh, to be the first one to come and cooperate with the Department of Justice. It didn't necessarily provide incentives to any other companies for truly making sure that they had a very effective antitrust compliance program. And what this does now, it provides incentives to all companies uh, who may find themselves uh, being investigated criminally for an antitrust violation. It provides incentives for all those companies uh, to ensure that they ha- they're good corporate citizens, that they have effective compliance programs, because now, if that's the case, and they can demonstrate that the Department of Justice, uh, they can then uh, potentially uh, get credit for that uh, at the sentencing, uh, I'm sorry, at the charging phase of an antitrust a criminal investigation and prosecution. And, and the way that they will get credit is that they uh, can be eligible for a deferred prosecution agreement. As we know, if, they, if you have a deferred prosecution agreement and you fulfill all those terms, you can then avoid, uh, avoid prosecution. Jesse, one of the things that has struck me, uh, certainly in the anti-bribery, uh, anti-corruption compliance world, is that the Department of Justice has evolved in its thinking and evolved in the incentives it has given to corporations to cooperate. So now we have a corporate enforcement policy that uh, has a presumption of a declination uh, if certain factors are met. But it seems to me the DOJ has been moving towards uh, trying to get greater cooperation with corporations, giving them real incentives to not only self-report, but to cooperate. Do you see this initiative by the antitrust division as consistent with that DOJ evolution? Uh, explicit, if not implicit, uh, or and implicit in, in this new policy change is that they do expect that uh, good corporate citizens uh, will uh, not only have a strong compliance program, but that compliance program uh, would have as an element that when a violation is, ident- is identified by the company that they will, number one, self-report but that they will also then uh, meaningfully cooperate uh, with the Department of Justice uh, and that they will then remediate uh, the problem as well. So, uh, yes, so this is more towards that trend of providing incentives to not only self-report, but also to provide meaningful cooperation. Jesse, the um, evaluation, or excuse me, the, uh, the document itself starts out with three questions which are entitled uh, three questions a prosecutor is to ask uh, and it labels some fundamental questions. Is the corporation's compliance program well-designed? Is it applied earnestly and in good faith? 
does the corporation's compliance program work? Uh, those three questions are also a part of the anti-corruption compliance program 2019 guidance. Uh, so there is some overlap, but I actually I found uh, a fair number of differences. And so I was wondering if you might be able to just kind of go through the substance of what the DOJ is uh, mandating around uh, antitrust compliance programs and, and give us some of your highlights. One thing I, and I want to mention, and, and it, it, this might seem obvious to some people, but frankly is not all that intuitive or obvious to most people. And that is, uh, you know, when you talk about anti-bribery, anti-corruption, uh, a violation of the antitrust laws of a, a per se violation, uh, which is a criminal violation, is really a fraud. It is corruption. Uh, when you are uh, entering conspiracy with, co- with, uh, with other competitors in your market to either fix prices or, or to rig a bid or to divide up your customers, you are committing a criminal fraud. Uh, and it's a criminal fraud on the consumers uh, or the customers. In many cases, the customers, the government. Uh, and it's also a fraud on the free market system, uh, and it's an impediment to a free market system that we all rely on. So uh, while to some people they hear the word antitrust and they think that this is really very complicated uh, and not intuitive, at the end of the day, an antitrust violation is a fraud, uh, just like bribery can be a fraud or other type of anti-corruption or a corrupt uh, uh, corruption uh, law violations. Uh, so in terms of those three questions, so the first one, you know, is the compliance program well-designed? The key thing for this new antitrust policy is that it be a uh, well-designed antitrust compliance program. Uh, and I think this is where for some companies, if not many companies, uh, this is going to be some an area where they really uh, need some improvement. And that is because I think many, many companies have compliance programs, corporate compliance programs, uh, and they could be pretty well designed. Uh, but when it comes to the antitrust aspect of compliance, uh, they are superficial uh, or non-existent at all. And in order to get credit under this program, you have to have a well-designed antitrust compliance program. And according to the guidance, what that means is that it has to be a compliance program that is designed to prevent antitrust violations. Uh, And uh, where an antitrust violation may occur involving your company, uh, it's supposed to uh, uh, be effective in identifying that violation and then have mechanisms for making sure that the company self-reports that violation to the government is prepared to cooperate with the government, and is also prepared to remediate the problems that led to that violation. So that gets to the first question. You know, the second question was, you know, is it uh, implemented in uh, earnestly and in and in good faith? I think you know that's similar to any other compliance program. But I think a key aspect here is a company needs to know who are the individuals within the company that are most likely to be in situations. Where, they're, uh, where they can engage in antitrust violations. Uh, those people may not really be all that aware or knowledgeable about the do's and don'ts of what they can do in a particular situation. I'll just give you an example. Uh, 
so uh, think of a conspiracy to, to fix prices. Uh, where that's going to occur often is with the sales team. Representatives for competing companies do get together from time to time. They may go to a professional association. Uh, they may see each other uh, as they make a pitch to uh, a customer. Uh, and they have to be trained and educated and, frankly, audited that they are not entering and engaging in the types of conversations and the types of exchanging of information with their competitors, even at something like a trade organization, uh, that could lead to an antitrust violation and certainly uh, an investigation and potentially a prosecution. Well, Jesse, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time today, or actually we're at the uh, end of our time, but I've been visiting with Jesse Kaplan, the Managing Director of Corporate Oversight at Affiliated Monitors. We've been discussing the antitrust division's evaluation of corporate compliance programs and criminal antitrust investigations. Jesse, I'm sure we will be continuing this conversation. Thanks, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. If you want more information from me, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. You can email Jesse at jkaplan at affiliatedmonitors.com. I hope you'll join me again next week where we take up another topic related to FCPA compliance and ethics. FCPA Compliance Report is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Thanks so much for listening, and I look forward to visiting with you again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.